Our reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped round him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, 
Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. I'm Sam, one of the staff team here. Thank you, Matt, for reading all the way through to the end of that chapter. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together now. Thank you for this passage. We ask that uh, this time would be used for our good and for your glory. Pray that your spirit be at work in what I say and in what you speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a man whose name was Ephialtes of Trachis, who betrayed his homeland so terribly that his name has become the word for nightmare in his native language. Ephialtes was the Greek who betrayed the 300 Spartans to the Persians at the Battle of Thermopylae. The Greeks had met the Persians at the Trachinian Cliffs, which created a bottleneck with the neighbouring gulf. The plan was for the Greeks to hold off the Persian army at the bottleneck long enough for their navy to defeat their oppositions. The Greek plan was promising, except for one gleaming detail. Their position could be outflanked using a little-known goat trail around the pass. Well aware of this, the Greeks did everything they could to conceal it from the advancing Persians. But Ephialtes revealed this flaw to the Persians in hope of a reward. Faced with certain doom, King Leonidas of Sparta released the Greeks fighting under his command and stayed behind with only his rear guard of 300 Spartans, an act that would become the most famous last stand in human history. A shocking and costly betrayal, but one that doesn't compare to that of Judas Iscariot, whose name has become synonymous for us in the West, the English-speaking world, with betrayal. And that's the passage that we come to today, that Jesus, knowing uh, that this betrayal was uh, round the corner, washed the feet of his disciples. We've begun a series in this section of John's Gospel that's going to lead us to and through the events of Good Friday and Easter. We're going to look at our passage in three parts, through three characters. First, Jesus, the loving King. Second, Judas, the betrayer. And thirdly, finally, Peter, the denier. So our first character, Jesus, The Loving King, verses 1 to 17. Jesus is at the heart of this story. He's the active character teaching, 
doing, getting up, washing. It's all about him. It's about his kingship, the kind of king he is. We're told in those opening verses, he's come from God. He's returning to God. All things are his. He knows that. What does he do with this knowledge, that sense of identity? Does he lord it over his disciples? No, he loves them. He loves his own to the end, to the limit, to the uttermost. He loves them right to the end of his time with them and to the limits of his love. After the meal, he gets up from where he's been reclining with the 12, removes his outer garment, stoops down with a towel around his waist to wash those 24 feet around the table. And as he does that, we've already been given a spoiler in verse 2 that the devil had prompted Judas to betray him. Yet, Jesus doesn't leave anyone out. There isn't a hierarchy. He goes round, one at a time, lovingly, humbly, selflessly performing a task that the 12 were unwilling to take on. To understand the significance of the task, it's helpful to call to mind some of the context that back then in that part of the world, roads were untarmacked and unpaved, travellers wore sandals, sturdy leather soles with a, a strap holding them in place, that on a journey the dust from the road would settle, cling to their feet, on the exposed skin, under the straps, between their toes, mingling with the sweat to form a sort of caked-on grime. And a necessary part of Jewish hospitality was the washing of feet on arriving and entering a home. You didn't need a whole bath, you had done that at home before you set out. But your feet needed washing. And that was a, a symbol of welcome, of being restored to the cleanness that you set out with. And though a crucial task, it wasn't a glamorous one. Feet necessarily are down to earth. This task wasn't carried out by the host, nor even the Jewish servants. In fact, it was so lowly a task that it was reserved for the Gentile servants. And as we're told the story, it seems that Jesus and his merry band of disciples have no servants among them. Gentile or otherwise, no one to take care of this important but lowly task. And it seems that none of the disciples have taken the initiative and volunteered to do it themselves. So verse 3, Jesus, their Lord, their master, their teacher, knowing that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Jesus is the loving king who loves his fickle friends to the end. I was surprised when I was on exercise with the university officer training corps when we were asked to sit down in our platoon and to get our feet out for a foot inspection. It sounds sort of bizarre and silly to an outsider, but of course, the army march on their feet. And without your feet, you're incapacitated. And in fact, you're a burden to those around you. You need your feet. And in fact, just the day before, one of our 
uh, one of the cadets had, had gone down, a you know, big, strong guy, unable to carry his burden or burgen or walk because he hadn't taken care of his feet. I was shocked further still when we were sitting down in our sections that it wasn't just the platoon sergeant who was sent round and report back to the platoon commander as he would with ammo or water or casualties. But he would escort the platoon commander round and it was the platoon commander who was taking that interest, taking the initiative. It was his duty to look at each person's feet one at a time, see how they were doing, see how they were being kept and to prescribe invariably copious amounts of talcum powder. I asked one of our army officers uh, if, if he does that, if that's sort of a thing in you know, the real army, uh, not just sort of OTC exercises. He said, sure do, sure do, do feet, uh, foot, foot inspections on operations and exercises. He said, get their trotters out, see if they're being looked after. Healthy amounts of talcum powder. But it would be next level, wouldn't it, if the platoon commander, like Jesus, knelt down, rolled his sleeves up, got his talcum powder out and started patting down our feet. And we certainly could have done with the foot washing first. What if it were the Queen, though? Britain's longest reigning monarch, say she invited herself over for dinner and, given my lack of household staff, took the initiative and washed my feet. David Knott is a courageous surgeon <clears throat> who has spent much time serving in conflict zones. And he writes of his PTSD, my diminishing ability to cope was rather spectacularly exposed when I was invited to a private lunch with the Queen at Buckingham Palace. The contrast between those gilded walls and the ravaged streets of Aleppo began doing weird things to my head. I was sitting on the Queen's left, and she turned to me as dessert arrived. I tried to speak, but nothing would come out of my mouth. She asked me where I'd come from. I suppose she was expecting me to say, from Hammersmith, or something like that. But I told her I'd recently returned from Aleppo. Oh, she said. And what was that like? My mind filled instantly with images of toxic dust, of crushed school desks, of bloodied and limbless children, and of David Haynes, Alan Henning, and those other Western aid workers whose lives had ended in the most appalling fashion. My bottom lip started to go, and I wanted to burst into tears, but I held myself together. She looked at me quizzically and touched my hand. She then had a quiet word with one of the courtiers, who pointed to a silver box in front of her, which was full of biscuits. These are for the dogs, she said, breaking one of the biscuits in two and giving me half. Together, we fed the corgis. There, the queen said. That's so much better than talking, isn't it? How extraordinary that Her Majesty gave up some of her dignity to serve the surgeon and ensure that he felt at home and at ease. How much more the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, when he rolls up his sleeves to serve us. Jesus is the loving King and he commands us to do likewise. 
what might foot washing look like for us? Being willing to take off our outer garments, to leave our status to one side, to get our hands dirty. There's something of that in caring for an ill friend or relative, or in helping a, a child wash their hands before a meal. Perhaps it's opening our homes, inviting one another in, making each other feel at home, taking a coat, offering a drink, something to eat. Jesus is the loving king who loves his fickle friends to the end and commands us to do likewise. Our second character is Judas, the betrayer, in verses 18 to 30. Jesus is the loving king, but despite his love, two of the 24 feet that he washed belong to one who's about to take to those feet and leave and betray him. Now, Judas is a complex character in the gospel narratives. I don't have all the answers to the questions we might have. And we certainly don't have time for a full character analysis here. John 13 tells us, verse 2, that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. And in verses 26 and 7, that Jesus knew and sent him, that on taking the bread, Satan entered into Judas. And that profound and striking verse, he went out and it was night. Light and dark are big themes in John. Recall those words from the opening lines of his gospel. In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, the light of the world, the light that gives light and life to every person, is in that room, reclining with his 12 friends. Satan, the power of darkness, prompts Judas and enters him. He abandons his friend, Jesus, the light, and steps out into the darkness. And it was night. Judas went out to betray Jesus, yet Jesus loved him and washed his feet. We heard the story of Ephialtes of Trachis, but Judas' betrayal is even worse, even more extreme, isn't it? That he enjoyed the love and fellowship, companionship, teaching of Jesus for those three years. One of his inner circle was at the table with him. Perhaps some commentators suggest sitting, reclining on Jesus' left in that place of honour. That he was the one to whom Jesus gave that morsel of bread, again, a sign of honour in that culture. And despite that love, despite those invitations to relationship, Judas' heart was hardened and he gave that up to sell Jesus to his enemies. Judas presents us with a choice. Do we step into and stay in Jesus' light or are we willing to give him up for 30 silver pieces? What are you being offered to give up Jesus? Money, acceptance, love, promotion, an easy family life? If you know Jesus, if you count yourself his follower, his disciple, 
then he's chosen you. He loves you and loves you and loves you. But if you want to leave, he won't stop you. That's how much he loves you. So that's our second character, Judas, the betrayer. And third and finally, Peter, the denier. Our third character, Peter, the the denier, verses 31 to 38. Around the table, there's Jesus, the loving king, Judas, the betrayer. Third and finally, Peter, the denier. Loud-mouthed, gung-ho, jump straight in, Peter declares, I can follow you. Why can't I follow you now? Uh, Let's be clear, when the guards arrest Jesus in the garden, all those currently at the table flee. Peter does at least try to follow. But despite his professions of allegiance, Peter proves to be a fickle friend. All the disciples do. But Peter's great, isn't he? We love him. He's relatable. He gives us hope in our discipleship. Both Peter and Judas let Jesus down. Yet the way the Bible relates those two stories could not be more different. It couldn't be a greater contrast. Peter's fall is impassioned. He's not cold and calculating, but overcome by a moment of weakness. He sets out with good intentions. And in the life or death stress of that situation, knows that, uh, denies Jesus before he knows what he's done. It's like he doesn't know what he's saying until the rooster crows. Apparently, the, the cock crowing and bringing Peter to his senses is the reason that some churches have roosters on their weather vane, a symbol of Peter, of, of us, God's God's people being called to their senses, to repentance from the top of church towers and spires. There have been plenty of times where I've let Jesus down, where seeking to love him and to follow him, I've messed up and not always got it right. But there's hope in Jesus' conversation with Peter. He has that conversation but there isn't judgment, there isn't condemnation. He's stating the facts. He doesn't disown Peter. He washes his feet as he does everyone else's. He loves him to the uttermost, as he does Judas and all the disciples there. So Jesus, the loving king, loves his friends to the end, to the uttermost, to the limit. If the act of Jesus getting up and washing his disciples' feet wasn't shocking enough in the moment. Well, only a few hours later, these friends will have disowned him. And yet, Jesus loved them and washed their feet, even so. Have you allowed Jesus to wash you? Have you turned to him and received his forgiveness? Have you been washed clean in the bath of baptism? And if you've let him love you and wash you clean once for all, by turning to him and being baptised, will you go on letting him love you and wash your feet day by day, week by week? Will you embrace the vulnerability of allowing him to come close and to get his fingers between your toes? If you're all too aware of your fickle nature, don't let that get between you and him. 
He is loving and faithful. He knows us to the depths, the good and the bad, and he loves us to the skies. Will you let him love you? And having been loved, will you follow his command to do likewise? It's by this, Jesus says, that the world will know we're his disciples. Not how we dress, how we speak, how we pray fast or read the Bible, although those are good things, but how we love one another as he loved us. Humbly, selflessly, without fanfare. I was always amazed when friends would come and visit me at uh, at college at, at Ridley Hall, They'd come for uh, perhaps dinner on a Thursday and whatever else they said or thought, they were always impacted by how warm, how kind, how friendly everyone was. And I think it was that sense of, of the way we loved one another, the warmth of, of the welcome that we genuinely looked after, cared for each other, that they were touched by. Being here is a start. Just by being here, we're a blessing. We're serving one another. But perhaps for us, washing one another's feet is making these gatherings a priority. Coming regularly, arriving punctually, joining the team, serving on the door, the welcome, hosting, making tea and coffee, clearing up afterwards. It's so basic, isn't it? It's almost offensively mundane. We're tempted, I think I'm tempted to say, do you know who I am? Do you know my title, my salary, how much my time's worth? And perhaps those were thoughts, the thoughts that kept the disciples from getting up and taking it on themselves to wash each other's feet. It's so trivial, isn't it? It's almost embarrassing to say it. And yet, it was the way that Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, chose to demonstrate his love to the last, to the end, to the limit, to a ragtag bunch of fickle friends. Many of you will be faithfully, quietly, humbly picking up the towel uh, at St. Michael's each week, helping uh, lead children's groups on welcoming or uh, helping with Alpha, opening your homes, running small groups. What a beautiful and Christ-like thing. Thank you, if that's you. And I've heard there are a number who are getting involved, particularly with the children's church, and that is an encouraging and exciting thing. Where are we going to take off our jackets, roll up our sleeves and pick up a towel? I know it's been a bizarre couple of years, and we celebrated the second anniversary of that first lockdown this week. For many of us, amid the turmoil and the loss it's been an opportunity to step back, to reevaluate, reassess, and reset. But as we come out of lockdown, there are exciting opportunities to get involved at all three of our services. I, I appreciate there are different ages, stages, seasons of life, but so too there are different ways of serving. We'll all have our own capacity and preferences and gifts. The loving king loves us, his fickle friends, to the end, to the limit, to the uttermost. Will you let him love you? Now you know these things, he says, you'll be blessed if you do them. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that though he knew exactly who he was, the authority, the power that was his, he didn't lord that over us, but instead chose to get up and to take the place of a servant and wash his disciples' feet, wash our feet. We pray that you'd give us the humility to allow him to do that for us today. And that knowing his love by your spirit, you would enable us, empower us, equip us to love one another, that the world might see who you are and that we are yours. In Jesus' name. Amen.